0: We start the show with some unfortunate breaking news. Sammy Watkins has broken his foot in minicamp this is bad. This is really bad. We were looking forward to big things from Sammy Watkins, particularly in the efficiency department. Sammy Watkins was not going to be a WR1 in fantasy this year. Let me repeat, even with a healthy foot, Sammy Watkins was not going to be a WR1 in fantasy this year because the Bills do not throw the ball very often they are one of the lowest volume pass offenses in the NFL 507 pass attempts last year for Bill's quarterbacks was number 30 in the league That's why the uber-efficient Sammy Watkins last year was not a WR1 in fantasy. Even though Sammy Watkins had a plus 39.6 production premium, that was number two in the league on any given down and distance. Sammy Watkins, regardless of game situation, the Bills were getting more out of Sammy Watkins on a per-target basis than almost any other wide receiver in the league all but one. And Sammy Watkins' target premium, his... Per target production versus the other receivers in the Bills passing game, target premium of 43.8% on playerprofiler.com was also number two in the league. So when you look at production premium and target premium alone, Sammy Watkins was the most efficient wide receiver in the NFL in 2015, and it didn't matter because he only received 96 targets. And by saying it didn't matter, I mean, even being the most efficient wide receiver, according to those two metrics in the NFL, it still wasn't enough for him to be a WR1 in fantasy because the volume just wasn't there. 96 targets, 7.4 targets per game. That was 35th In the NFL. So if you're not in the top 30 in targets, you're not going to be a WR1 in fantasy. It doesn't matter how efficient. That is the lesson learned. And what did the Bills do in the draft? Well, they decided to double down on the run game. They drafted Jonathan Williams as their first skill position player, another running back who just happens to look a lot like Carlos Williams. Yet, Carlos Williams is better in every capacity than Jonathan Williams. Carlos Williams is better between the tackles, outside the tackles, and especially in the passing game. They're both big backs. But Jonathan Williams is very much redundant and inferior to Carlos Williams. So that was a wasted draft pick for the Buffalo Bills. In that draft slot, they could have had Rashard Higgins. Nope. Good Michael Thomas from Southern Mississippi. Nope. Kiaris Garrett. Nope. Roger Lewis. No. No, 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 no. We're not investing in the passing game. That's what the Buffalo Bills were telling you in the offseason. We're not signing any free agent wide receivers of consequence, and we're not drafting any wide receivers of consequence because our focus is on the run game. We are doubling down on the ground and pound style that is a losing style in the NFL. Unless you have the Denver Broncos defense, which is very unlikely, that offensive philosophy if he will not get you into the playoffs. So on a lot of levels, the Buffalo Bills are one of the most incompetent franchises top to bottom. Certainly one of the worst player personnel management departments in the NFL because they did end up taking a wide receiver, but it was very much the wrong wide receiver. It was the worst possible wide receiver they could have drafted, Colby Listonby, a wide receiver from TCU who posted a mere 15.4% 11th percentile college dominator. Bleh. And what's worse, Colby Listonby was also redundant to an asset they already had on the roster in Marquise Lee. So when you go to the Colby B profile, the first word they use is track star in quotes, because that's what the generic football analyst loves to do. They love to call guys that played track in college, the track stars, particularly the ones that aren't productive. So if you ran track and you weren't productive, you're labeled a track star in the scouting report <laughs> every time, <laughs> Just pencil it in. But unlike Marquise Goodwin, Colby Listenby wasn't one of the elite athletes we've seen. At least with Marquise Goodwin, he ran the fastest 40 time in combine history, had an upper percentile 134.0 burst score, which is 96th percentile. That combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric on playerprofiler.com. 1075 agility score for Marquise Goodwin, 94th percentile, 124.2 92nd percentile Spark X score on playerprofiler.com. Marquise Lee, one of the best athletes in the NFL regardless of position. So if you wanted a one-dimensional field stretcher, it doesn't get better than Marquise Lee. Drafting Colby Listonby was a wasted draft pick. Jonathan Williams, at least, is a good running back. He's just going to be fairly useless as the third running back on the depth chart in Buffalo. So Buffalo is one of those teams that lacks a rational player personnel strategic vision, and their offensive philosophy is completely wrong-headed. So if you have a wrong-headed offensive philosophy and no player personnel strategic vision for roster construction— Your team isn't going to make the playoffs. This is the recipe for an unsuccessful franchise in the NFL. That's the Buffalo Bills. And if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills, you know this. I'm friends with Buffalo Bills fans. I follow Buffalo Bills analysts, and they all know this. They are willing to admit this publicly, that the Buffalo Bills have no idea what they are doing. When they do acquire a talent at a need position that performs above replacement, when they happen to do that, it is complete luck. They are the definition of the blind squirrel finding the Tyrod Taylor nut. Sammy Watkins certainly wasn't luck. They traded a first-round pick to trade up less than 10 spots to get Sammy Watkins. (laughs) What? They went without a first round pick in 2015 because they traded up a few slots to get Sammy Watkins the year prior, a slot in which they could have taken Odell Beckham Jr. What? Yeah, this is the Buffalo Bills. Passing on Odell Beckham Jr. to trade up to get Sammy Watkins is quintessential Buffalo Bills player personnel talent management. They don't know what they're doing. And now that Sammy Watkins is hurt and his status for week one is in jeopardy, they're stuck. This is why having a data-driven rational approach to roster construction and scouting, acquiring above replacement talent at the end of the draft, someone like Michael Thomas from Southern Miss, or signing a Kiaris Garrett as an undrafted free agent. That's why these moves are so important because none of the players at the top of your depth chart are guaranteed health. Even Sammy Watkins who has been healthy for two straight seasons, breaks his foot in minicamp because these things happen. And the Buffalo Bills had a particularly shallow depth chart at the wide receiver position. Of all the teams that could ill afford to lose their number one receiver, it would be the Buffalo Bills. Contact the show, at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Could any team have afforded to lose their number one receiver less than the Buffalo Bills? Let us know. Because if Sammy Watkins doesn't go in week one, their number one receiver will be Robert Woods. And Robert Woods, unlike Sammy Watkins, was inefficient in 2015. Robert Woods, in 2015, negative 7.1 production premium, negative 17.3% target premium, 6.9 yards per target. All of those metrics I just listed were outside the top 75 in nfl wide receivers but you might say well he's a possession receiver so he's not going to have a high yards per target sammy watkins is going to produce more than him on a per target basis so necessarily his target premium won't be particularly high he's a possession receiver what about the catch rate (sighs) catch rate 58.8 percent 58th in the league (sighs) whoops In none of the efficiency metrics we like to look at was Robert Woods inside the top 50. Now, he had a better season the year prior. At least the year prior, he had a production premium and a target premium inside the top 60, barely. But also in 2014, his yards per target, 6.7. 6.7, that's Jarvis Landrian. That's bad. But at least his catch rate in 2014 was 62.9%. That was top 40. It was exactly number 40, but at least it was top 40. It was something, we're trying to find something but there is something on the Robert Woods profile that I am encouraged by he's been in the league three years he's been a starter for two years so his college resume has lost a lot of its relevance but I will go back to his college resume he came out after his junior year at USC and in his sophomore year at USC when he was the number one receiver in that passing game as a true sophomore Robert Woods 111 receptions For 1292 yards and 15 touchdowns so robert woods does have a prolific season on his resume if you go back to his sophomore year in college that's why you see his breakout age 18.4 97th percentile say what you want about robert woods but at least he broke out at an early age and he's not even slow he runs a 450 40 so his speed is above average And everyone would tell you he has good hands. His contested catch rate was in the top 10 last year, albeit not with a huge number of contested targets, small sample size. But in May, we love to focus on a player's talent. We love to look at them intrinsically. Do you like this player? Is he talented? Is he good or is he bad? Most people would say Robert Woods is bad. He's not good, right? He's either good or bad. Pick one. If you had to pick one, good or bad, Robert Woods... (laughs) bad right but a funny thing happens once we get to week one once week one rolls around and you start setting your lineups for dfs something else starts to matter more than a player's intrinsic qualities something starts to matter more than his talent profile that's his projected target share For Robert Woods, if Sammy Watkins isn't playing, his projected target share will be near the top of the NFL in the early weeks of the season. And even once Sammy Watkins comes back, he is going to be the entrenched number two receiver because the Buffalo Bills, again, in the offseason told you that the passing game is not a priority because they let Chris Hogan walk to a division rival, the New England Patriots. The Buffalo Bills are telling you that they're either incompetent or they just don't care at all about the passing game. And I think it's actually both because if you don't care about the passing game, then by definition you're incompetent because throwing is more efficient than running in the NFL. But once the season starts, a lot of us become a lot more talent agnostic than we were in May. And so I'm going to keep that in mind and start to compile as much Robert Woods as I can across all formats. MFL 10s, Dynasty League teams, go get Robert Woods. You can also take a flyer on Leonard Hankerson. I know Leonard Hankerson finally got an opportunity in Atlanta as the number three receiver and he got cut and he got cut because his catch rate was 56.5%, and he was one of the league leaders in drops. Negative production premium, negative target premium, and a yards per target of 7.1, 72nd in the league. And this was in a situation where Julio Jones was commanding double teams on almost every snap. So even though we love that Leonard Hankerson talent profile, 112.5 Spark X score, 70th percentile, 49.6%, 94th percentile college dominator, 6'1", 210 pounds. So he's big, he's athletic, and he was a big-time college producer. But sometimes wide receivers, no matter how productive they were in college or how athletic they are, or both— Even the productive athletic specimens, sometimes they get to the NFL and they just go sideways. If there was ever a receiver that you could say, the scouts must have seen something that the numbers did not reveal, it was Leonard Hankerson because he went in the third round. And according to the numbers alone, Leonard Hankerson looks like a first-round lock on data alone. But when the scouts saw him, they said, Eh, eh, eh mid third round so i'm not expecting anything from leonard hankerson even if sammy watkins isn't playing in week one and that means the targets necessarily funnel to robert woods now we have some more breaking news According to Roto World, Austin Safarian Jenkins, quote, could lose his starting job. (laughs) Here we go. Yes, we're here. We're here, everybody. We made it. We made it through January, February, March, April, and halfway through May without any training camp or preseason stimulus to propel the show. We had to default to criticizing the critics for 20 minutes plus. Every episode to get us through the winter doldrums. But we are here. Spring is here. And that means minicamp is here. And that means coach speak is here. Oh, And that means that certain publications like today's pigskin will run with nonsense coach speak. Box offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter heaping praise on Cameron Brait. Cameron Brait and Jameis Winston had, quote, real good feel for each other in the red zone and on seam routes and just all over the field. He really made the most of his opportunities. And with that pull quote, today's pigskin leapt to the conclusion that Austin Safarian Jenkins could lose his starting job. And then that pull quote ends up on Roto World. And what does that mean? Go get Austin Seferian Jenkins Run now. Submit offers! I was late starting the show today because I was submitting offers to acquire Austin Safarian Jenkins in hoping there were gullible individuals in my leagues reading Roto World and processing it verbatim! Why would Dirk Cutter say those things about Cameron Brait? If you think critically about what you're reading, you'll come to one conclusion. He's trying to motivate a prodigious talent in Austin Safarian Jenkins because the idea that the Bucks would start Cameron Brait over Austin Safarian Jenkins doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to sell Austin Safarian Jenkins now when he's on the cusp of a monumental fantasy breakout in 2016. Austin Safarian Jenkins is the best tight end prospect I've seen in recent memory. The best! Because we look at his profile on playerprofiler.com, 29.5% college dominator at Washington. That means that 30% of the pass offense ran through the tight end at Washington. That is a huge number. And you might say, well, that happens. Look at Thomas Duarte. He posted an upper percentile college dominator last year. Yes, he did. But Thomas Duarte, is a move tight end he's 235 pounds and possesses explosive athleticism in a spread offense at the college level that player prototype is going to be immensely productive but not once you reach the nfl once you reach the nfl the tweeners fall by the wayside in favor of the athletic inline tight ends that weigh 260 pounds plus Those are the tight ends that stick in the NFL, the Martellus Bennett's, the Rob Gronkowski's, the Travis Kelsey's. And the Austin Severian Jenkinses. But I want to go back to the Austin Severian Jenkins college resume for a moment because there is a season on that Austin Severian Jenkins resume that I found particularly impressive. His true sophomore season at Washington in 2012, Austin Severian Jenkins had 69 receptions for 852 yards and 7 touchdowns out of the tight end position as a true sophomore. I've never seen a Division I tight end have such a productive sophomore season. You just don't see that. And unlike a tight end like Ryan Griffin, who was exceptionally productive at UConn, then he ran a 40 close to 490, and you're thinking, oh, well, okay. He has great ball skills, but in the NFL, where you need to create your own space, you need to get down the seam, as Dirk Cutter was praising Cameron Bright for. Most tight ends that run a 4.90 aren't going to translate well to the NFL. That's why it's also nice to look at the Austin Seferian Jenkins workout metrics and see that he runs a 4.73, which comes out to a 106.9, 78th percentile height adjusted speed score. He has above average burst, and what we love about Austin Seferian Jenkins more than anything else is that upper percentile 1120 agility score, 87th percentile. For a 6.6, 260. 62 pounds tight end to post an 11-20 agility score, which is better than a lot of running backs run. That is magnificent. He has one of the best size-adjusted agility scores we've ever seen. We love tight ends with agility because that allows them to win over the middle of the field. They are working in tight quarters, and having lateral quickness is critical. And if you can combine size with lateral quickness, then you're Tyler Eifert. And Tyler Eifert just happens to be Austin Safarian Jenkins' best comparable player on playerprofiler.com because like Tyler Eifert, Austin Safarian Jenkins was a college mega producer. And like Tyler Eifert, Austin Safarian Jenkins has one of the best size-adjusted agility scores in the playerprofiler.com database. And like Tyler Eifert, Austin Safarian Jenkins, even though he didn't play many games last year, when he did play, he was efficient. Plus 10.3 production premium, 13th in the league, plus 30. 1.3 target premium, eighth in the league. And here's what I love red zone target share for Austin Zafarian Jenkins in 2015 was 25.0%. That was seventh in the league. When he was on the field, he was targeted frequently in the red zone. And in general, when he was targeted on any given down and distance, he was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' most efficient receiver in the passing game by leaps and bounds. Cameron Brait, on the other hand, is a 235-pound move tight end. They will play him in the slot depending on the game situation, and he will be running seam routes. Cameron Brait will post a couple hundred yards receiving. That will all happen. But the idea that Cameron Brait could ever supplant a wide receiver as exceptional as Austin Safarian Jenkins is fiction. So go submit your Austin Safarian Jenkins offers now. I will give you a minute, and we'll come back and continue with the show. Okay, we're continuing with the show. Buzzard writes in... (laughs) You can't go after ESPN's Mike Clay, of all people. He's Mike Clay. Watch me. Do you want to know why I can go after anyone in this industry without blinking? It's because I can read the comments on the Roto Underworld Radio YouTube channel and not give them a second thought because those comments eviscerate me. The internet comment board has always been a phenomenon that I marveled at and it perplexes me. Why people spend time on internet comment boards, I don't know. I'm not an internet commenter. But once I became the target of the internet commenters, it became hugely amusing for me. And I thought they might affect me. I thought they might affect me in a negative way. All of that bile, all that vitriol directed at me when I post a highlight clip from the show. Where I'm criticizing Thomas Rawls, or I'm praising Corey Coleman, most of the comments are negative. It doesn't matter what I'm saying. They just want to criticize me. People want to be heard, and they want me to know how dumb I am. The problem is I know I'm not dumb, and that nullifies everything they're saying. That YouTube channel is hilarious. My favorite set of comments are on a Chris Hogan highlight clip. Chris Hogan 7-Eleven is always open. In that highlight clip, I praised the New England Patriots for signing Chris Hogan. I thought it was a great signing. I think he's going to exceed expectations in fantasy this year. And on that highlight clip, I said that Chris Hogan playing lacrosse instead of football had almost no precedent. Then I asked a rhetorical question. How many successful receivers didn't play the position for their first four years in college? Zero. What I meant was how many successful receivers didn't play the sport of football? For their first four years in college i aired i misspoke and the youtube users destroyed me for it you idiot look no further than his teammate julian edelman for someone who played a different position in college edelman played quarterback and he's on the same team as chris hogan you dummy it's just sorry i misspoke <laughs> clearly i know edelman's career arc How could I not? I wrote an entire book called The Dynasty Dominator. You can download The Dynasty Dominator. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides get the dynasty dominator for eight dollars it's also available on kindle it's 120 page strategy guide to help you win your dynasty league it pulls lots of tips precepts from some of the best fantasy minds in the industry we got an exclusive blurb from rich rebar from roto world very appreciative to him for going above and beyond helping me to provide supporting evidence for the conclusions in the book. So highly recommend going. Again, playerprofile.com forward slash guides. Get the book now. Everyone that has read it has said it is worth it. So there's that. But in this book, I spent a whole chapter on Julian Edelman's career path. But if you go to YouTube, Matt Kelly doesn't know anything about Julian Edelman. <laughs> it's- melt your brain if you're not careful. Be careful with the internet. I saw that and I sat down Vivian I said Vivian, my four-year-old daughter. So this internet thing, gotta be careful with that, honey. Use extreme caution. It's like a hot stove. Just be careful. Could melt your face. The internet is like the first challenge that Abreu faces in the never-ending story. Those two statues with wings. All he had to do was walk past those statues believing in himself. If you doubt yourself as you're walking past the statues, they will kill you with laser blasts. Those two statues represent the internet because as you approach the internet, if you're not sure of yourself and you go and open one of these comment boards you could be killed with laser beams of negativity. So in that way, it is a great test of character to post your own videos online and to absorb the comments and see if you can survive. Because I know that I know that a lot of wide receivers were converted from college quarterbacks. Antoine randall L, Brad Smith, Julian Edelman. I know that. Can we all just assume that because I've done over 200 football podcast episodes that I know some basic things, like there are a handful of wide receivers in the NFL that played quarterback in college? It's pretty basic. You can assume I know things like that. Thank you, internet commenters. (laughs) No, 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 you can't. You can't assume anything because the internet is full of insecure people just looking for a platform to show the world that they are smart, even though they are in fact very, 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 very very much not smart. But fortunately, I know I'm smart and therefore I don't need to troll message boards online, also known as the lowest form of humanity. When people are typing up an internet comment, did they realize that they are the lowest common denominator in our society? At that moment when they're typing and about to submit the comment, do they realize that If I'm going to criticize someone, I will use public airwaves like Roto Underworld Radio to do it. Not social media and not message boards. Because trolling is lame. One of the other things that fills me with confidence, enough confidence to make it past those statues with laser beams coming out of their eyes, is the fact that each day, multiple people go to playerprofiler.com and they sign up for the all-in premium package. The all-in premium package gives you access to my player rankings, which are rookie rankings, dynasty rankings, season ranks, and weekly ranks. So the rankings alone are $30. The other prong of the premium package is the data analysis tool that gives you access to every metric in the PlayerProfiler.com database target premium production premium height adjusted speed score college dominator rating across quarterback running back wide receiver tight ends pick any position any metric and you can download all the data to excel access to that is also 30 dollars the all-in package includes both rankings and data analysis that's 45 dollars And this premium package happens to be more popular than I could have ever imagined. But still, it's not as popular as this show. There are many of you in the audience that have yet to sign up for the premium package. And if you want to support the show, if you want to support Player Profiler, if you want to keep the good times going, my number one suggestion is go to playerprofile.com, sign up for the all-in package, and you will not only support the website and support the show, you will get value in return in the form of rankings and unprecedented amounts of advanced data on football position players. Another buzzard writes in, Thomas Rawls, Does not need to be an every down player to be a monster producer. Oh, yes, because on YouTube, I have multiple videos criticizing Thomas Rawls. And one consistent criticism across all my Thomas Rawls content is that Thomas Rawls is not a bell cow. He's not a workhorse because running backs that I define as bell cows or workhorses, they have to be active in the passing game. They have to win in all phases. If you can't win in all phases, if you're a one dimensional pounder, you're not a workhorse. You're not a bell cow, as I define it. And so if you're not an every-down player, it's not possible to be a monster producer for a full season. You can be a monster producer for a partial season, as Thomas Rawls was, because I also hear people say, well, Thomas Rawls wasn't just productive against San Francisco. He put up over 150 total yards against Cincinnati, over 100 yards against Minnesota. Those are good defenses. Yes, I agree. He had two good games against good defenses in Cincinnati in Minnesota. He also had over 100 yards against Chicago. But four games is still a small sample size. Overextrapolating a four-game sample is the fastest, easiest way to be fooled by randomness. And that's all assuming that the Seahawks will implement the same game plan with the same defense that they had when Marshawn Lynch was their running back. Why would we assume that? Why would we assume that the seahawks will continue to be a run first team in 2016 we can't assume that we can't assume what their philosophy will be and we can't assume the game flow they will experience week to week but then we have some more breaking news according to doug baldwin the seahawks will go back to a run oriented approach on offense this season oh really pete carroll followed it up with the same sentiment Oh, really? So Doug Baldwin and Pete Carroll have said publicly that the Seahawks will go back to a run-oriented philosophy. I ask you to sit back and think, why would they do that? Why? Why would they say that publicly? And why would the team decide to go back to a run-oriented approach on offense? Just because? that's the only reason. That's the only underlying reason. Beyond coach speak, the only reason they would do that is just because. That's what they've been doing in the past, except for those eight games last season when their offense was the most efficient it's ever been. And they beat teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers with their offense instead of their defense. Except those games. I think it might be because Doug Baldwin knows he was a fantasy WR1 mirage in 2015 and he's trying to get his expectations under control. You notice who didn't say that the Seahawks will go back to a run-first approach in 2016. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has been quiet about the offensive philosophy of the Seattle Seahawks. Curious. What has changed that would lead you to believe that they will go back to a run heavy philosophy? Nothing. Just the opposite. The things that have changed are as follows the defense is worse and Marshawn Lynch is gone. Those are the things we actually know. And no one knows how the Seattle Seahawks game flow will unfold in 2016. But people love to predict game flow in May. If your predictive powers are so keen, If you're sure that Seattle will be winning more than 10 games in 2016, if you're positive that they will be grinding out the clock in the second half and using Thomas Rawls heavily to lean on a lead in 2016, if you're confident that this will happen frequently, you shouldn't be playing fantasy football. You should be betting total wins over unders in Vegas. Yes, you could become the next fantasy football millionaire.